Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you all. It is really a privilege to worship and praise the Lord together. How wonderful it is to to gather in the name of our Savior, who is King, who has conquered sin and death. We have such an awesome God who has all authority. And as we stand and sing, we only can stand in Christ because he laid down his life for us. So praise him for his, his awesome works. We'll be in the book of Mark, if you want to turn there, chapter 16. Um, the kids are in with us today, so welcome. Glad to have you here, all of you. And uh, I was thinking about my early, I guess, Easter associations. It meant dressing a bit more formal than usual. That's something it meant for me. It meant uh, going to a dawn service. So we'd start at 6 a.m. and have a service outside. I know, pretty early, huh? We should do that one of these days. No, one day, right. But it was just a great day. It was a great day of food and family and going to church early and celebrating. And I remember the night before, we would always prepare for my grandmother's and grandfather's Easter egg hunt. And so we'd boil eggs and get the vinegar out and food coloring and we'd, we'd get these eggs ready for the next day. And But in addition to the hard-boiled eggs, there were these plastic eggs. And in the plastic eggs, there was candy and coins and and even bills. You could get a $20 bill in a coin, which was pretty, I mean, in in an egg. So that was, like, really good. And it was exciting when you go out there. And so the afternoon, it would be youngest to the oldest. So it would all queue up, and they would send out the youngest ones first and the older and older. And I was the oldest, so I got to go last. But there were plenty of things to find. And um, what do you think was more sought after, the hard-boiled eggs or the plastic eggs? <laughs> Abby, if you had your choice. Plastic, why? Money, Money right? <laughs> okay, an honest person up front, that's good. Yeah, indeed. I mean, who wants a bland egg that you could just have every day when you could have something really special? And it was fun. You'd pick up the egg and you'd shake it and you could almost tell. You'd guess what was inside. And if it was quiet, it was, it was either money or a peep. I don't know if you guys know what peeps are, but that was not as good as the money. But uh, that could mean the jackpot. So it was really exciting. And uh, I, I would always walk up to eggs that people had left, hard-boiled eggs. Because they're like, ah, who wants those? They just wanted the money. But if we were really hungry, no one would have walked over those horrible days. They would have taken them because they needed them. And that's what I feel a lot about the, the empty tomb. You know, if you found an empty egg, it wouldn't be very much fun. You're like, well, what, what's the, okay, I found it, but what do I get? And when we see the empty tomb, we celebrate because Jesus met our greatest need there. We, he gave us life through his death. And so we can't pass over that. We can't just neglect that, but that's how we can live and we can forget the things that Jesus has done for us. And I wonder um, how the followers of Jesus felt when they saw that empty tomb at the beginning. We're going to read about that. Finding empty things is usually bad. No, you want some milk and the carton is empty. You've been looking forward to ice cream. How many times has this happened to you? You, The the ice cream has been in the freezer for like two or three weeks, and you're finally like, you know what? I'm I'm about ready for that. And you go to get it, and oh, it's in the bin. Somebody just got it right before me. and Empty. It's bad because it's empty. 
A bad surprise if you're out on a deserted road and your petrol tank is empty. It's not good. So why do Christians celebrate an empty tomb? Well, unlike candy that you find and you eat, or money that's quickly spent, an empty tomb is always a cause for celebration because it means we have a risen Lord who is a Savior, who is victorious over sin and death, and He gives eternal life to all who repent from their sin and trust in Him. It proves that Jesus conquered sin and death, and that's way better than boiled eggs. Why don't we pray before we open the word? Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Thank you for that empty tomb. Lord, this life is quite empty without him, and it seems to be stuffed full of many different pursuits and affections and desires. But, Lord, they all fade. They all just do not stand the test of time. But the empty tomb and your love for us, it does. And you give us eternal life, Lord, that no one can take away. And so we praise you and rejoice in you. And we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday when we're confronted again with the reality of the empty tomb and a risen Lord and a Savior who loves us, who laid down his life so we could stand and be with you forever. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Please speak to our hearts and fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the songs that we sang, it talked about Jesus being born of a virgin. He was. He was born of a virgin. He grew to be a man. He went through Judea doing good. He preached. He, he did miracles and signs that confirmed his word that he is the Messiah, the chosen one of God. There were some who followed him, but there were many who rejected him, and they refused to follow him, and they sought to kill him. So they plotted against him. And ultimately, he was condemned by the Jews. He was crucified by the Romans and confirmed dead on the cross. And he was buried in a tomb carved out of rock, which was sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers. These are professionals. And for the followers of Jesus, this was an unthinkable turn of events. They expected him to be the Messiah, as he promised to be. And what sort of Messiah is it who is dead? How could he save you from anyone? What power could he possibly have? And so they were shocked by this. They, they mourned his death. But what was going to happen was even more shocking. In Mark 16, starting in verse 1, it says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices They came that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Very early on a Sunday morning, three women are bringing spices to anoint the dead body of Jesus. Now, the Jews didn't bury their dead in like a coffin and buried in the dirt, how we do in the West. They would have a tomb that was carved out, and the, the stone in Jerusalem has a lot of lime in it, and they would lay the body upon the lime, which would also speed up the decomposition process, and they would wash the body anoint it with spices, wrap it in cloths, and lay it just on the slab that they'd created. And it was a new tomb that Jesus was laid in, carved out of the rock. Many tombs were used for generations within a family. Uh, so there were no remains in this tomb. It was empty. Then Jesus' body was placed in there. And the women, they had planned ahead. They had prepared the Sabbath to bring these spices to anoint the body and uh, But they hadn't planned about how they were going to get into the tomb. 
So, okay. So they planned in one way, but they were on the way going, oh, yeah, that's right. There's that huge stone in the way. How are we going to move that? And what they don't talk about is the Roman seal that was over it, which was, if you broke that seal, it was like, uh, you know, when you have a sealed envelope with that wax stamp on it, to break that and it's not addressed to you, that was a very serious crime. If you were to break into that tomb, you'd be um, committing a crime against Rome and punished by them. And you saw how Jesus was punished. You wouldn't want to do that. And then it was guarded by Roman guards who were armed. And it was their life. They, they guarded it with their life. So they were very committed. It really, thinking about it, it's quite a hopeless situation. They loved Jesus. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to uh, just to do something for him that honored his memory, even in death. But then they're thinking, well, how are we even going to access him? How can we even get in to anoint him with the spices that we brought? Well, they loved him and had such devotion, they were willing to try. Verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. But they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were wondering about how we are going to move that stone, but it was replaced with concern because it had been moved. They're expecting to see it closed, and wait a second. There is a yawning opening there. The stone has been rolled away. What's going on? The stone would keep the smell of death from coming out. Um, It would also protect the body from any sort of animals that might want to uh, scavenge it. In John chapter 11, when Jesus went to the tomb of a beloved friend, Lazarus, he had been dead four days. And when he said, hey, roll the stone away, Martha's like, no, no, Lord, it's going to be foul by now. You know, there's going to be a stench. We are not going to open that tomb. Thankfully, they did in obedience to Christ because Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. So to have the stone rolled away, it was really, un- it was just strange and odd. And even when they entered in, it was even more strange and odd because there's an angel there, a man wearing white robes who knows things that Jesus has said. He knows things that he couldn't possibly know. And he says, "Um, Jesus is going before you into Galilee and tell Peter that he's going to meet with you. And so this initial alarm gives way to amazement. And it says they left quickly speaking to no one because they were afraid. This was so out of the ordinary. They're expecting to find a body wrapped in linen. Instead, they find just the linen clothes. In other Gospels, it says that the the linen was left laying there, and the, the, the part that covered his face was folded and laid by itself in a place. Now, if you were going to take the body, why would you unwrap it? Leave that behind and take just the body. That wouldn't make sense. So this, they're trying to sort this out in their mind. This was so uh, unexpected. Would their explanation be believed? Sure, they wondered about that too. Now, if I was at an Easter egg hunt and someone said, hey, my egg is empty, 
I wouldn't be surprised. There's a lot of reasonable explanations why that egg could be empty. It could be the people who are making up the eggs, they just missed one. It's possible. Uh, it, it may have been, been that the plastic egg didn't snap together properly, and when they put it on the ground, it opened up, and the jelly beans fell into the, the dirt. And Okay, it, it's empty, right? It wouldn't be odd. Or someone, when they found that it didn't contain what they wanted and they were really hungry, they could just eat it and just leave it behind because who cares, right? There's a lot of explanations for an, an empty Easter egg. But the claim of an empty tomb is a very different thing because a dead body is not easy to carry around or keep hidden, especially when it's been, it's been guarded by Roman guards and the body had wounds from crucifixion would have been easy to identify, pierced hands and feet with a, a, a spear in the side. If you were Mary Magdalene and you're carrying these spices you prepared and you walked in and you see the grave clothes and the, the angel, what would you have thought? How would you have felt right then with your expectation totally shattered? You were already shattered walking in, but now something is being told you that you almost don't dare to believe for joy. We'll see that Jesus did not remain misplaced or lost. Right? He showed himself to people who weren't even looking for him. Praise the Lord, he still does that. Mark 16, verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Jesus appeared to many people alive. He bore the scars of the crucifixion in his flesh. John 20, it speaks of when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. She was the first to seek Jesus. And then as she was told by the angel, she reported back to the disciples. They came. They didn't believe. They weren't sure what to believe. And then she was weeping outside the tomb, and Jesus met with her. And when he said her name, she realized who it was, that it was Jesus. He was alive, and she was overcome with joy. The disciples, they could have been rejoicing in the victory of Jesus, in his resurrection, that the one that they loved was not dead, but he was alive, but they mourned and grieved over him. And I think we can do the same things as Christians, where we believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That We believe that fact, but we fail to realize the implications of what his resurrection means in our everyday lives, that he has conquered sin and death. And often we can put up with sin. And sin brings a wound and a reproach that only Jesus can take away. It's kind of like if you had a deep uh, splinter of wood that's causing an infection and the skin has covered up and it's just always weeping and wounded and, and you can't seem to, to get it healed up no matter what you put on it topically. See, that, that, that piece of wood has to come out. And we can't clean, clean, cleanse our hearts on our own. We can't, there's no surgeon's scalpel that can remove the sin that's in your heart and in your mind. Only Jesus can forgive you and set you free and cleanse you completely. He's the only one. And he proved his ability to do that in that he defeated sin and death because sin brings death every time. 
You cannot be a Christian without believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is one of the requirements, that you repent, you trust in Christ, and you believe that he is risen. So this resurrection from the grave, it's really, really important. I remember talking to a young man once, and, and I said, do you believe that Jesus said, oh, yes. Do you believe that he died for your sins? Oh, certainly. Do you believe he was born a virgin? Yes. I mean, these are pretty huge claims. I said, do you believe he rose from the dead? No. No, I don't believe that one. Whoa, that's pretty important. It's really a critical thing because if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then he's not a living savior. He can't give us life. He can't forgive our sins. That's what Paul said. Jesus also, even more important than that, Jesus had said he was going to be crucified in John 12, 32 and 33. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So Jesus said, I will be crucified. When the Jews asked Jesus to give a sign who gave him authority or under what authority he cleansed the temple, he said in John 2.19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of the temple of his body. So he said, "In three, I will die, but after three days I will rise again. This is a promise upon which all the claims and teaching of Jesus hinge. If he does not rise from the dead, then he is a liar, and he is a deceiver, and he is no savior. Our sins are not forgiven, death has not been conquered, and we are headed for eternal damnation and hell. That's the reality, apart from Christ. But because he is risen, all these other things are true. We can know we have eternal life. We can know we're forgiven. Christianity cannot be lumped in with any other religion or belief because it's distinct and unique in that Jesus Christ is alive. He was crucified, but he's risen. There's no other that can claim that. And Jesus was seen by hundreds of people. I was reading a book this week called Jesus Among Secular Gods, and there was a sentence that caught my eye. Vince Vitale wrote, there is nothing like this early, public, multiple-attested, eyewitness-based evidence in any other religion. And these witnesses were, would gladly face death rather than deny their risen Savior. That's compelling. Now, the resurrection, it doesn't just provide hope for believers, but it also has a meaning for those who do not believe. You could be on the fence about Jesus and say, you know what, or really just opposed to Jesus. And you may think that trusting in Jesus is laughable or a crutch for weak-minded fools or tools. Um, but there's a message for you from the passage in Acts 17, 29 through 31. Paul goes to Athens, and he noticed as he walked through the town that there were idols everywhere. There were all sorts of gods to be worshipped. And there was even an idol to the unknown god. So it's like they wanted to have their bases covered. Like, well, we want to worship this God because he helps the rain come. We worship this God because he brings fertility. We want to worship this God because she is love and kindness. And, and so they had all these gods, but like, what if there's a God that we're not worshiping that could be helping us in some way? Well, we should set up an altar to that God, and then we'll just have them all because they had so many gods. So they had the unknown God. Paul, as he saw this, he concludes his message in Acts 17, 29 through 31. He says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, 
We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So for a Christian, Christ's resurrection, that empty tomb, it means victory over sin and death and eternal life for a believer. But to the unbeliever, it is proof that Jesus will judge the world in righteousness. Judgment. The day of judgment is real. It's not just a myth that you've heard about. The day of judgment is real. Where you will be brought before the Lord and judged according to his laws. And if there is sin in you, you will surely perish. But when you look at that empty tomb, how does it strike you? Are you rejoicing over that? Or is it like, well, hold on. This, this is significant. Because the day of judgment is coming. He will destroy with great wrath all those who reject him. And he's given us salvation. He's made a way for all of our sins to be forgiven. He's made a way for us to have new life, eternal life with him. And the empty tomb proves it. He's given assurance to everyone that he will do this. But it's a dreadful reality for unrepentant sinners, that empty tomb. Because it means that there is a judge, a righteous judge, who will come. Today is a day of decision. Don't take my word for it. The empty tomb says it all. Really, if, you, if you're unsure, look into it for yourself. The empty tomb and the proofs. There's so many. Um, but may the Lord open your hearts to receive not only the truth of it, but the implications. How ought we to live in light of the empty tomb? Now, at my grandparents' Easter celebration, we all grew accustomed to seeing people we had never met before. Um, my wife can attest to this. She'd be like, who's that? I'm like, I don't know. There would always be various people, half, maybe half the people. I, I knew the core people, but there were a lot of friends and relatives and extended family that I didn't know. But everyone was welcome. Whoever wanted to come and have a nice barbecue and jump in the pool and, and do the Easter egg hunt, anybody can come. And that's really like God's kingdom. If you want to be with him, he'll have you. He's invited you. The invitation is there to have your sins forgiven and to have eternal life with him. And we won't be wondering, like, well, who's that guy? Does he deserve to be here? None of us deserve to be there. It's by the grace of God that we're saved. We didn't deserve to have anyone pay our penalty for sin. I like that God is gracious to open the kingdom of heaven to anyone who will come to him, anyone who will admit that they're a sinner and they need a savior. He will give you new life. Will you accept his invitation? When you peer into that empty tomb, what do you see? Proof of your salvation or impending doom? May it be salvation for all of us. Now, the death of Jesus on the cross, it's the ultimate display of love. He would have us proclaim his sacrifice until he returns. In the first uh, Sunday of the month, we receive communion together. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, Paul speaks of how he was 
given this command by the Lord to remember his death till he comes. Really, remembering his love. So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. It is wonderful that we can look at Christ's death through the lens of the resurrection, knowing that he conquered all. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. On the night when Jesus was crucified, he took bread and he broke it and he compared it to his body, which would be broken. He would be pierced. He took wine and he passed it around. He compared it to the blood that would be shed on the cross. And it would usher in a new covenant, a new agreement. The previous covenant was one of law, where the blood of animals would be shed to cover sin. But Jesus, by his grace, he forgives us our sin. He washes us clean and we're born again through faith in him. Um, later this month, many of us will attend an Anzac dawn service to honor those and remember them who have fallen in battle with honor. And this is similar to that in that we're acknowledging Jesus and his sacrifice, and we're acknowledging that he is going to return because he's alive. He is a living Savior, and he's paid for our sins. He atoned for them. He's wiped clean the handwriting that was against us, and so in doing this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. And I love the fact we serve a risen Savior. I mean, what, what other Savior is there? He must be alive to save and to give life. So we proclaim his, his death knowing he is alive and coming back. And he will establish his kingdom. He will save and deliver his people. And he will bring uh, judgment upon those who reject him. So if I could please invite the worship team to come forward. We'll, they'll be leading us in a song. And as, they, as we're singing together, as we're reflecting upon what Jesus has done and confessing sin, come forward and take of the bread and the cup. And then I'll lead you in a prayer. We'll pray together as we close. <coughs> Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Thank you that you are so generous and kind in making a way for us to be saved from our sins, to be cleansed forever, and to live with you. Thank you for the new life that you give us, that we can be evidence of that empty tomb wherever we go because your Holy Spirit lives within us, that you've given us joy and your perfect peace despite troubling circumstances. And when we Look at the, the church in Acts and how they were persecuted and scattered. Lord, you were with them and you helped them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can pray to you because you hear our prayers. You're alive and that you will come again to deliver, to save, and to judge. And we trust you because you are righteous and good.
Lord, I pray that you would move upon our hearts even now as we consider these things, that if we do not, um, if we have not been walking with you, Lord, we would repent. Lord, you would show us if there's wickedness in our hearts that you want to purge us of, that we confess that before you openly, and that you would be honored and glorified in this fellowship today. Lord, I praise you for this opportunity to proclaim your death, to remember your resurrection, and to rejoice in our awesome Savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father in heaven, for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you for his love and the grace that he's shown us. Thank you for his power, his wisdom, the kindness and compassion he showed. Lord, the tears that he shed as he walked through this earth, as he sought to gather people to himself. Lord, give us that heart of love that sacrifice that he did. Thank you, Lord, that his entire life was one of sacrifice. Thank you for his body that was broken so that we could be made whole. Thank you for his blood that was shed so we could be washed clean and have a new covenant based on even better promises. Thank you for uh, his, his obedience to go to the cross and do this impossible thing for us because he does miracles. And Lord, may we receive that work, each one of us. Praise you and thank you for your, your glorious works, your grace and your, your uh, forgiveness, the atonement that you've given. Thank you, Lord, for sprinkling us, for making us new, for filling us with your spirit, and for the eternal plans that you have for us that are good. Lord, speaking for myself, I'm nothing but dead weight but you have made me and many others alive to you by your grace. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the freedom and the hope that we have, that you've made a way for us to be saved that we couldn't find on our own. Thank you for coming to us and being our Lord and King. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together.